Okay, folks, welcome to the podcast. Um, Shane and Pat are here with you today, and we're going to mostly, I think, talk about speckled trout and the status of the fishery here in Texas, but we may meander into a couple of other relevant relevant topics. So we'll set it up first, and then we'll just dive right in here, Pat. First of all, actually, thank you for joining again. Oh, yeah. Glad Happy to have this you is, back. This, this is number three. Number three number on three. this subject. This, um, I, I think that... I think that this is this is worthy of, of at least three podcasts. This subject in particular, and and what is what we've seen happen in the fishery, and, and what we see now, and where we think the fishery are going, are all worthy of of lengthy conversation. So that's kind of why we're here. The Parks and Wildlife Department had the emergency ruling for speckled trout in the Lower Lagoon Montre in response to the fish freeze that killed an est. You know, I can't remember what the estimate was now. Three point. Yeah, three something you know, million. Three point nine million something fish, like I think that, it was. Yeah. Three point eight, three point nine total. Significant portion of the game fish that were killed were trout and they were um in the Laguna Madre systems, mostly the lower Laguna. So emergency action was implemented and that action was extended for sixty days and the action was to increase the minimum size to seventeen inches and top it out at twenty three inches and then reduce the bag limit from five to three. Interestingly enough, the emergency action just expired um, mm-hmm. a couple of days before this recording, and and so in late September the the action expired, and so now we've reverted back to or had to revert back to the regulations um, that are we see across the entire coast. So now minimum size is back to 15 inches, and maximum is 25 you can keep one over 25 and the bag limit is back up to five fish so we're back to where we were prior to prior to the freeze so the parks and wildlife commission received an update this summer this past summer of 2021 and they they got to see the results of the the bag scenes across from the spring not bag scenes excuse me the gillnets from the spring gillnet season and you know long story short we've seen pretty marked declines in base systems in addition to the Laguna Madre systems. Matagorda Bay system had about a 40% decline and I'm just rolling these numbers off the top of my head. I think, I think Aransas was near 30. I'd have to look it up to confirm, but Aransas Bay was near 30%. Um, Corpus Christi Bay actually shot up a little bit Hmm. and um, no one, no one, you know, we can all speculate as to why there's some that have suggested that, that's a deeper bay system and actually fish that kind of left the adjacent shallower bay systems retreated to Corpus Christi Bay. Makes sense. And so maybe that one, that's why that one had actually increased. Who knows? Um, so now we're in this position where we're kind of, where we're done with the emergency action. We have data to show that we've had, you know, pretty significant declines in other bay systems. And the commission is faced with the opportunity to, to, to do something moving forward. So that's, that's where we stand as, as, of, as of today. Uh, the the way that the, the way that the process works for rulemaking, the Parks and Wildlife Department can't actually get a rule in place prior to the next spawning season, which is which is what they're when they're when they're doing these regulations. They're trying to increase spawning stock biomass and maximize recruitment um, each each spawning season. So they could get a rule implemented implemented by January of 2022. And that means that the next commission meeting, which happens in November, they're going to have to brief the commission and the commission is going to have to send them out with a directive to go out to do public hearings and, 
and gather information from the public and, and, and do that. They'd come back at the next meeting, which would be that January meeting, present that information back to the commission, and then the commission could decide if they, if they want to take action at that point. So that's where we stand. Um, you gave me thoughts on, on kind of that process or that trajectory of where this, where this, this thing is heading? No, it's, I think it was important you laid that out. It's, it's been interesting that we did our last podcast. I'm kind of using these as moments in time, really right after the freeze, where there was still lots of uncertainty. And, and, and there's still uncertainty. I mean, there's always uncertainty in, in fisheries management, for sure. Um, but, boy, there's a lot more clarity now than there was then. And, and I think um, it was important that you lay out what could happen in rulemaking um, because it shows some of the tools that Parks and Wildlife has, you know, managerially. And, and it's been interesting, you know, when you and I last talked in this format, um, we talked a lot about the conservation ethic that we, are, we saw, you know, where people, um, I think we noted in particular fishing guides, you know, who were running catch and release trips, um, folks who had pledged not to keep a speckled trout um, in 2021 or maybe even beyond. Um, I think all of that's there still, um, which is kind of exciting. And maybe is even a little more permanent um, with some people, at least the way they look at it. Now, some of that's forced because they're not catching them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of it is is imposed, which is the really powerful piece. Um, and so where I'm going, sort of that circular path, is that it'll be interesting to see the public sentiment on a more permanent ruling. You know, I say permanent, maybe it's for a few years, yeah, um, yeah. you know, so that stocks can recover. I would assume it's going to be pretty positive. You'd, I think I think you're I think you're on track, and I think you're right about that when at the last commission meeting coastal fisheries was given the update to the to the commission and one of the talking points that that they discussed was compliance with the three bag limit okay you know then and they're able to see that through their krill surveys that they do at the boat ramps and dockside and things like that and there was almost 100 percent compliance within the laguna madre systems at their dockside surveys of that three fish bag limit more so than you know, when they had the five fish bag limit, they would. It seemed as though they were alluding to the fact that they would see a greater incidence of noncompliance mm. back then. So that kind of speaks to that conservation sure. ethic, and anglers anglers are starting to get it. So we're 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 seeing significant compliance with the three fish bag limit, and you know, you're right. We've had a lot of people ple- you know make those pledges mm-hmm. and, and practice more catch and release, and the, and that is that's carried. In, it's not just specific to the Laguna Madre systems, you know, that's carried it all, its way up north. Oh, yeah. No, agreed. I mean, I, I, I pledged to not keep a shot. Just personally, you know, nothing professional there. Just wanted to not do it. Um, you know, sadly, it hasn't been that hard because I haven't caught a lot of trout. <laughs> but that's some of that's my own fault. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think a lot of that's going to keep going. I mean, and, and I mean, you know, I've never, or at least in recent years, haven't really ever tried to press to keep my limit, you know, be it five fish. Um, and for goodness sakes, back when it was 10, but, um, it's a lot easier to get your head around keeping three now than ever before. Yeah. Again, like you said, you could be fishing Sabine. Doesn't matter. I mean, um, it's, 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 that is the ultimate positive from things like this. You know, I think, I think there's some other ones that are embedded in there. I think people have a better understanding of the value of hatcheries. Um, I mean, people get that. I think we've always seen that, like, in our membership. People are super proud that they're a part of these hatcheries and that hatchery production. But I think um, with this freeze more than ever, people were cognizant of it. Um, and then work people like you were doing on social media, getting it to people that they would understand, wow, wait a minute, we have a, tra- a real tragedy happen, and we're able to ramp up production 
And lo and behold, I mean, how many fish have they produced this year? As of September 24th or 25th, when I got the last numbers, they were at twenty, just over 23 million, which is phenomenal for phenomenal. this for this point in in the year. They've, I mean, they've reached their red drum quotas. That's which awesome. is about 15 million fish. They've already surpassed that, and they're focusing on trout, and they expect that they'll get – usually fall is a really good time for trout spawning and, and trout pond, uh, production of fingerlings in the ponds. And so they're going to they're gonna focus on trout for these next couple of months and, and get those numbers up. But normally the quota for both trout and reds combined is 25 million. I mean, they're already almost there, and they have a good solid six to eight weeks of prime growing season See, that's left awesome. ahead of them. See, that's so inspiring. And, I mean – and I think all of us need to pause, um, particularly CCA members, and know that they're a part of that. I mean, they're part of that. And that's the cool thing about conservation. That's what we talk about this conservation ethic. And, and you know, what does that manifest in in terms of releasing fish? Well, there's something there. But it's, it's the conservation ethic and what it becomes in terms of action, um, be it societally or advocacy and whatever. But even beyond a personal pledge to not keep fish, but joining an organization or, or helping out parks and wildlife or whatever it might be that you're actually a part of that. That is really cool. Yeah. Every, everyone that, that signed that membership form or participated yeah. in a banquet or have donated online, what have you, they played a role. Yeah. And, and fortunately because of their engagement and their activism, if you will, mm-hmm. we were in a position to help the department immediately and, with particularly at the at the hatcheries with with the heat exchangers at, at MDC, so they could spawn their trout, and they've killed it with trout production yeah, this year. Phenomenal. That hatchery really has ramped up their trout production significantly, and then the ponds that we got reliant at Sea Center, both the hatcheries were ready to rock and roll at a hundred percent of the hatchery's capability mm-hmm. from an infrastructure standpoint. Mm-hmm. There was nothing holding them back, and. We, we helped them get there. See, that's so cool. I mean, think about it. So those those pond liners, the heat exchangers, all that, anyone who's a CCA member, they were part of that. Absolutely. And, and at a time where, as anglers, you felt about as helpless as you could be, you know, every text and post was a bunch of dead fish. And, and yet that moment was when, because of people's dedication, because of these tens and tens and tens of thousands of people that have given time and money and effort to – this cause CCA, um, we were able to put that into action and then it's now turned into fish. Yeah. And That's it's so cool. It is. And it's, and it's, you know, we're, this is CCA, it's a CCA podcast and, and we're both employed by CCA and we, we, we love what we do and love the organization, but the, the conver- the conservation ethic that we help promote has is and has carried over into these and into other groups mm-hmm. that that may have had it just weren't as vocal about it or that didn't have it at all and mm-hmm. now they're now they're doing it to my point bayou city angler um did some online raffles and, and mm-hmm. donated yep. you know a couple thousand dollars to sea center texas west end anglers which is a fishing group in west galveston bay you know they they held a tournament and, and all those proceeds went to sea center texas See, that's and so cool individuals donated money to the yeah. hatcheries and so it's just everyone we circle the wagons and 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 everyone got involved and it's really See, it's really fun to see the community come together and rally around the cause. No, that's such a good point. Because you're right. You don't even have to be a CCA member to make a difference. I mean, anybody can. Yeah. And, um, and, and and you raise a good point on, on and I'll even single out Bayou City Anglers just because they're great folks. And I'm actually going over there after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, uh, I mean, that's a perfect example. You know, a retail shop that stepped up. And, and the money they raised is great. 
the awareness they raised is priceless. Yeah. That's the thing that I think all of us need to remember as we're part of these movements. And, and, and like you say, there's so many great groups out there and so many great groups that are doing stuff. Well, like, and I'll, I'll just, again, speak to our sort of backwoods here is, is Galveston Bay Foundation. I mean, they're doing work in Galveston Bay, um, doing habitat restoration. We partner with them a lot. Um, there's folks up and down the coast. I could go acronym after acronym that are, that are part of this movement, this greater movement. And, um, you know, maybe it all starts back in the late seventies with GCCA, but, but maybe it just starts in people who care about resources Mm -hmm. and maybe it goes all the way back to the North American wildlife, you know, management model and caring about these resources and seeing their value, um, and and their value on so many levels. And, and, and that breeds that drive and that passion and that momentum that creates great conservation. And then, so when you do have a freeze, I mean, you know, it's just not as scary a prospect when you know you have tools to recover quickly. Yeah. The, the, I guess the scary part of it is, you know, the fishery eventually somehow, some way will recover. We, we mm-hmm. want to play a role in that recovery process and we want it to happen faster or as fast as it possibly mm-hmm. can. The scary piece is people disengaging from, yeah. from fishing, you know, yeah, and, and, or folks going out of business that have built, built their business around, mm-hmm. you know, recreational fishing. So if we could do both, if if we can we can maintain interest in the fishery, keep the industry alive, and then and also recover the fishery at the same time, you know that's that's the goal I think, and that's yeah, the, that's what we're aiming for. You raise a very important point, and that is the the true horror show is people stepping away from fishing, and the pandemic brought a lot of new anglers in. Um, that's been a a positive side effect of it, um, in 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 what is otherwise a big pile of not so positive ones, but um, but that angling ethic that comes with that you got to stay engaged i mean and if people aren't fishing then they just don't care i guess it gets right back to the the wildlife management model yeah and i saw that after 89 i i'm the 89 freeze and we spoke about that some the last time we talked was um i saw people quit fishing because it, fishing was so bad mm-hmm. and um and it was interesting you and i were just talking earlier um about not really having a lot of anecdotal stories. I mean, I don't have many. And, and and it occurs to me, I really haven't been fishing. I mean, I've been to the beach. I've been, but I haven't been fishing. And I don't know if that's a statement on poor fishing. I don't know if that's been working too much. I don't know what it's been. But, and I don't know a lot of stories from other people either. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know my, my reasons either other than I, I haven't, I mean, I haven't made a concentrated effort to make the time, not yeah. make the time, or set aside the time to go do it and i don't go fishing to to catch to to bring home fish yeah, i yeah. just go just to get away and, and go to church yeah that's yeah, yeah. That's, that's my yeah like my it. thing and, and fellowship with my, my dad and my brothers and things like that i uh so the fact that i maybe haven't caught fish really hasn't played i don't think has played a huge role f- for me it's but um it just hasn't been on the forefront of you know my weekly and monthly schedule but maybe it is because in the back of my mind, I kind of know that the fishery is struggling and we need to give, you know, I want to give them a break. And yeah. So I, you know, I don't know. I really hadn't put it together. Yeah. I know more people engaged right now with their hunting. I mean, that always happens, obviously, this time of year. Yeah. But it seems like there's more of that. And, and again, yeah, is it folks that aren't catching them so they're not as involved or is it folks being sort of proactively um, 
you know, conservation minded and saying, I'm not just going to go jack with the fish. Um, I don't know, but ultimately we need people fishing. Yeah. And, um, because without that, there's not the habitat work. There's not the, and maybe the most important is there's not the advocacy, you know, just like when you talked about the, the public hearing process related to speckled trout. I mean, that's a moment where people can make their voice heard. That's such a great system. We're so fortunate to have a system where you can go way in and and be a part of that process through the, the outreach. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And I, I don't know how they'll approach it, it you know, assuming that they would go out and, yeah. in this winter and do it. I don't know if, if they'll approach it with a recommendation or if they'll come to the anglers and say, like they did very much with flounder the last time they talked about flounders, Give, give us your ideas. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they'll roll out the same thing that they've already done with the slot in the, in the reduced bag limit and put a three-year time period on it. But, you know, maybe not. Maybe they, they may be looking to us for mm-hmm. suggestions on, you know, for a certain time period, how to get this thing, how to write the ship. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and, and there's probably no defined one right answer. And, and I think we'll probably see that manifest, um, in, in what people say, you know, based on their experience. And I'll, I'm actually interested to hear what people say because, Me too. you know, I, I the, yeah. the folks that are fishing more than I am, um, the folks that are better at it than I am, the folks that, you know, from different regions that I just simply don't fish, um, nor really even have contact regularly with folks that fish. So it'd be fascinating. That insight, um, is really valuable. I mean, the, Gillnet surveys, all that's, you know, really good empirical data, but the anglers are really can tell you a lot about where a fishery is and, and how, how difficult it is at that time. It's funny. So think back in, it's been interesting to think through, and I guess we all do this as, as anglers is I remember the snow days and I remember sitting in the back of my truck, one of those and looking and, and I heard there was ice on Omega Bay, which is a little kind of tertiary bay off of Galveston, off of Jones Lake. Um, and I remember thinking, we're done. This is 89 again, and it's going to be even harder for the bay to recover just because there's more pressure, more this, more that, more that. And I wasn't being some macabre um, dark spot. I was just thinking, wow, this is really going to be a challenge. And then you go to about the time when, let's just say we did that podcast, we were um, upbeat, but but very um let's just say well i mean we were upbeat about the future but we were pretty honest about this could be tough Mm -hmm. you know particularly gonna and then now i i find myself pretty much just upbeat i mean because i i i guess i expected all of the reaction from the public i guess i expected the reaction from um, the hatcheries and but i've just been so pleased with the durability of everything i mean people are still focused on this fishery and how it needs to recover that is really different than 1989 the 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 community definitely has evolved yeah there's no there's no question yeah the the majority i should say not not everybody sure the majority of of the recreational fishing community and and everybody is just a little bit i think a little bit better educated Mm -hmm. yeah that's true too that's true you know as you and i both know the pitfalls of of social media and and you know the rabbit holes you can go down but the bright side of all that is is you whether it's us or parks and wildlife or you know any other ngo or, or advocacy group they're able to reach mm-hmm. their constituents mm-hmm. and, and and let them explain the facts and let them know what's going on and and that 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 stuff spreads and i think everybody is just a little bit more aware no i, I agree i mean i 
I just, you just see it. I mean, it's a part of even, you know, the brands we wear. I mean, think about it. It's just become that catch and release ethic. Really, it's taken longer in saltwater. I mean, it's not the bass angling, you know, yeah. ethic. Um, and that's okay. I mean, our fish. No, salty are, fish are great to eat. They're good so. to eat. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'll never, never, hopefully I don't ever stop eating fish. But, um, but um, it really, I've been impressed at sort of the trajectory of conservation. And and you and I speak to a lot of groups. We both go out and do our thing talking to be at CCA chapters or, or, or folks outside of CCA. And, and I see it in those rooms. I hear it in those rooms. I hear it in the questions from people. Um, and, and again, not all of those are necessarily folks that are, you know, just inherently conservation minded. And they uh, and they get it. It's I mean, it's part of the fabric now of these fisheries. Yeah. And and you even see that sort of um, peer based enforcement of it. You know, I mean, we, we heard and saw a lot of it right after the freeze where people were really down on those that were going out and, you know, trying to knock out limits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and there was some of that. I mean, that, I don't think that ever goes away. I think that's just human. Um, but I was pleased and impressed at the the reaction of the public to that, of just absolute abhorrence to it. Yeah. That was that was that was good to see that reaction. And 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 again, on the back of 2020 – with the pandemic and all the related societal issues that were attached to it, more people than ever had gotten themselves out fishing and and felt that, how good that feels, and had a dedication to that staying healthy. Yeah. And, um, wow, that I, if that will stick, we are in good shape for the next decade or more. I mean, and I, I think it will. I think it will, too. I, um, you seen those Sims commercials or – a lot of them are on social media. I guess most of them are now. And it's, uh, you know, you get one life, fish it well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes yeah. they're funny. They're like a guy falling in a stream or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, little no, that's... And I feel like, I don't know, for the the community is like, our motto now is, is we got, we, we've got one life, let's conserve it well. You yeah, know, we're, yeah. We, we've got a really unique opportunity here to, to put this thing in a better spot than it was you know before we entered into the fishery yeah that's a good point and and i i thrive off that off mm-hmm. of thinking like that whether mm-hmm. it's fish or oysters or seagrass or, yeah. or habitat work whatever like this is a really cool opportunity to to to, to make a change in the, in the in the positive direction yeah and we couldn't do it we couldn't do it with alone no group can do it oh alone. my goodness and, and the yeah. support of the community support of members support of our partners that all ties into this oh yeah uh, to this movement we see so many heroes uh, that that you know no one would know their name you know these local chapter leaders and and folks at the parks and department and folks that just care you know and it's it is it's exciting i mean it's exciting to think about that future and making a difference and 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 you're right i mean well i mean i like using the line it's more than fishing and because fishing is so much more than that, yeah. you know, and, and, and again, it can be in a freshwater stream. It can be, on you know, in a coastal bay, but fishing is so much more than the act of fishing. And I think maybe that's what we're speaking to is this sort of metaphysical side of it that I think is more present and people are more, are more aware of than ever. And, and I don't think that stops there i don't think we're at some nirvana of understanding of it's more than fishing and that fishing is an art i think it's continuing to increase and i think it's probably a natural evolution of a art like fishing where it's just going to become more and more of a refined and positive experience 
where it's based on that true aesthetic and less on the, you know, dead fish in the box. Yeah, yeah. Takes me back to the John Buchan quote. Uh -huh. I mean, that's all I can think about right now is, yeah. is that perpetual series for occasions of hope. Isn't that so true? I mean, that's uh, it. It's funny. We talked about that on, on one other podcast. I've used that quote so many times. It sits on this giant um, redfish image outside of my office. And, um, but it is true. I mean that, because and the thing that I always like to point out that, that that Scottish philosopher captured was that it was the occasions for hope, um, of getting a bite, but that occasion for hope of getting a bite turns into the occasion of hope for conservation. I mean, that really is what he captured there yeah. because that occasion for hope is that passion. And if you have that passion, you can't help, but want things to get not only okay in the future, but better. And that's what brings about groups like CCA and all the other acronyms that are out there that maybe even do things differently um, and take different approaches, maybe even take different positions. But in the end, it probably all gets back to that same passion, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and that's really, really exciting. It's an interesting insight into the human experience, um, but also one in terms of how much difference we can make. And I think sometimes people forget that. And particularly in fishing, they've got to remember they can make a difference, be it involving themselves in a public process in fisheries management, joining a group, going and volunteering, um, any of those things. Just being aware of the issues and then weighing in with their local leadership, um, you know, be it congressional or whatever, um, you can make a real difference in, in the fisheries you care about. Yeah, well, and, and back, to the, back to the trout subject, and you, you've already pointed this out, but the difference that people can make here in the immediate future is show up. Mm -hmm. You know, go to those public hearings mm -hmm. or participate online, turn in your comments, give them your thoughts and, and be engaged in that process. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't sit back and then whine and complain at the end of the day if, if the department didn't didn't go with something that you had thought mm -hmm. of or had suggested. Because if you don't participate, if you don't play, you've got yep. no no ground to stand on. And so, we, you know, we want we want we want our our members to engage, yep. share their thoughts and, and help the department make make a or the commission, I should say, come to a, a, a decision in, in January. Yep. No, I agree. And, and, and not only participate, encourage your friends to participate. You yeah. know, that's the thing is that that's, that's the proverbial cliche, the force multiplier thing. I mean, that's been the essence of CCA's success is that, yes, a few people doing, you know, good things, be it 14 people getting together in, in the late seventies or, or, you know, tens of thousands getting together now. It's, the more people, the better. And if you can help be a catalyst to that, then that's one of the best things you can do for this resource is, is getting more people involved and, and then understanding, not just believing, but understanding they actually can make a difference. And that, that same passion they have on the water, if they'll apply that to the management of the fisheries and to the future of the fisheries and to the habitat, um, man, we got a really, really bright, bright horizon to look at. Yeah. I a hundred percent. And we're, we're, we're really fortunate right now with the appointments that we have in, in, in the, in the commission. Oh, I mean, yeah. We have some coastal centric mm -hmm. guys on that commission. So they understand the topics yeah, great. and, and they're, they're engaged in the fishery mm -hmm. I and mean, they're, they're fishermen. And so they're going to be able to um, reach out to people that they know, mm -hmm. um, whether it's fishing guides or, or, or folks in the coastal community, they're going to be able to go fishing. I mean, they, they kind of going to bring their own insight yeah. into, into the discussion. So that's pretty powerful. No, you're right. I'm really glad you raised that point because, um, yeah, because they know that occasion for hope. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing better than having a commission that knows 
that feels that same passion. Um, and, and granted, you know, there's a, it's a, a broad diverse group and there's people that are, it's broad diverse in their interest too. You know, there's folks that care more about whitetail deer. There's people that care more about largemouth bass maybe even. Um, but, but in the end, um, there, those folks all care. Yeah. And, and what's great is we have a number of them that, like to see a speckled trout come up and eat a topwater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, things that, you know, things that in particular, <laughs> well, just, just are pretty darn cool. Yeah. And so, um, and they know how important it is to maintain the fisheries that can facilitate that actually happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, we're really fortunate in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Well, we'll see where, where this, where this goes. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the next step for the department, if, if they're going to go down this route is they'll reach out to the coastal resource advisory committee mm-hmm. and, and, and then they'll, they'll talk to the commission in November and then the commission will maybe direct them to, to go out for public comment, maybe not. Uh, but the, again, the, the timeline, if they wanted to do something, they, the, the timeline would work that they could have a rule implemented. And when I say rule, it, it's probably, it probably wouldn't be a permanent thing like you suggested. Mm-hmm. It would, It'd probably be something that would encapsulate the time of a historically what a recovery has taken. That makes sense. You know, three, four, five years. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. And 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 then it, it it expires, sunset, what have you. But they 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 have they have the tools available to them to get something in before the spring spawn, which mm-hmm. would from a fishery management standpoint, it's something that you would want to see. Yeah. So. No, it's, like I say, there's a lot of stuff to be upbeat about. Um, people just need to keep fishing. I mean, that's you know, keep fishing keep that keep that dream alive and keep that passion alive because there are there's plenty of fish to catch there's no doubt about it and i and i i will say i'm, I'm i am hearing some great redfish stories too um i just heard a, a good port of redfish story yeah. um so and and i heard plenty of stories from the surf this year um plenty 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 i've seen some massive pictures uh, schools of massive pictures of massive schools of redfish gosh it took me a while to get that out <laughs> on social media but yeah lots of redfish schools in the bays and people yeah not everybody keeping them, but a lot of people are catching yeah. um, significant amounts, sight casting a lot of redfish. That's great. I mean, and uh, big, 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 big schools of, of bull reds yeah. out in the open bay as well. Yeah, I bet so, we. I, I would. I would assume we had a robust spawn, robust natural spawn too. You know, we had some some timing around some storms, as unfortunate as storms always are. Um, they sure create a lot of spawning. Yes. And, uh, yeah. And um, if you're Along the Middle Coast, you now have Cedar Bayou open, which mm-hmm. is just a highway for larvae into Mesquite Bay. And so that's that's another positive note, especially with regards to Red Drum. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Yep. Before we sign off, is there anything anything else you wanted to discuss? You know, I mean, wise? just folks staying involved. And and I can't ever say that enough. And, and sometimes, and you're right, you know, things don't always go to public hearing. Things don't always, you know, there's things that you can't always participate in. Um as directly as others. But if you stay informed, um, you'll find your moments where you can not only make a difference, but really make a difference. And that's all the way down to knowing who your congressman is. I mean, it's, you know, we've been talking about state management stuff. Well, there's a lot going on in federal management. Mm -hmm. And, and that's a much more opaque space and a much more dangerous space, because um, there is more mischief happens federally um, than than many folks can imagine. And, and so keeping yourself aware of things and becoming conversant on topics and then sharing those with other people is really important. You know, I feel like when there's an issue that needs, that, that, that's, that's pressing and needs to be discussed, 
the catchphrase contact your representative mm-hmm. or contact your senator get, gets thrown out there and then it just nothing happens yeah <laughs> but that's <laughs> no, a great but no that's a great point keep going but no, well i don't have much else except for that it's it's a necessary step yeah. and you absolutely have to do those things you because do. if you rattle the cage enough and you garner enough attention to the subject somebody is is going to listen and and that'll get communicated to the proper yeah. person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and it's funny. You're so right. That cliche has done us all a disservice. You know, contact your representative, and it's it's kind of like those legal disclaimers at the end of a commercial. Doesn't contact it. You know, it's yeah. like it, everyone just blurs it out. Well, you know, and then folks might even think, well, groups like CCA, you guys, you know, you go deal with that, right? And we do. Um, I mean, we do work with with decision makers, but people underestimate the power that a local constituent has. I mean, it is remarkable if you're, and I'm not talking about standing out in front of a building with a big sign. I'm saying you contact your representatives and as a person in the community who's likely a community leader and in a business or running a business or owning a business or who knows what, and you set an appointment to sit down with their staff or even, you know, the congressman or woman themselves, um, let me tell you that makes an impact. And I can tell you it makes an impact because we hear it from mm-hmm. them when they have people doing that. And right after the freeze, I remember um, remembering a line that um, a great guy, Cullen Blog, had said about, if you're going to be a fly, be a big green one. And that kind of became thematic to me. And I've, I've, I've been fortunate to have some friends, um, folks like Scott Weber and others that keep reminding me of that. <laughs> and it's reminding me to be a big green fly. But maybe that should be our parting message here is for everyone to maybe just remind yourself, refresh yourself, rewake, awaken yourself to be a big green fly. And particularly when it comes to our coastal resources, really care, really get knowledgeable and really dig in. That's a great, great message to end on. Stay engaged mm-hmm. and keep fishing. Go fish. And, and remember that it's more than fishing. Yeah. So thanks, Pat. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.